The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Hey guys, welcome to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. We appreciate you guys making us your weekly destination to catch up with some of our favorite uh, Atlanta and Georgia guests, uh, both past and present. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. All right, Greg, I am, uh, I'm pretty obvious and not really you know, too deep in my thinking. I'm very shallow. So here is where I wanted to start because we live in this era where we're obsessed with velocity and can you hit 100 on a gun. What was the hardest Greg McMichael threw a baseball, minor leagues or major leagues? Probably about 91, but, you know, there's a lot of debate on which 91 that was, you know. So, for instance, I'll give you an example. When I was first coming up, we were all on what was called the the ray gun, okay? So there was there were three different types of guns. There was jugs, there was ray, and there was something in between. And depending on what setting you had, uh, one was out of the hand, one was towards the plate, or one was halfway to the plate, and then one was when it crossed the plate. Well, obviously, the one when it crossed the plate is going to be slower. Uh, but everything, and, and then if we wanted to change something, we wanted a faster speed, we'd put it on carnival use, uh, which the guns had those settings. And that was basically when the ball comes out of the hand. And it was always four miles an hour faster. So the, the the speed would roll down, and but to my knowledge, all the guns now are everything's out of the hand. So um, back in the day, guys who threw, you know, average speed on our team was 86, but that was a ray gun speed. Uh, that was a ray gun setting. And then, you know, and if you wanted to uh, put it on the carnival use, it was 90. So, um, so you know, things have changed, and, and, and it's really irrelevant. I mean, George Brett, I thought, said it best. He said, if you shoot a 22 at me long enough, I'm going to hit it. And because hitting is just timing. And so if the norm is 90, 92, 93, it doesn't really matter as long as it's the norm. Everybody's going to adjust. What I think that the challenge is nowadays is the fact that the hitters are making the gap between pitching and hitting even worse because their approach to the, to the ball. So they're no longer worried about hitting singles. They're no longer worried about batting average. They're, they're no longer worried about strikeouts. What they're worried about is driving the ball out of the yard. So, therefore, you're doing the pitchers a favor. So you're now creating a bigger gap. You know, And that's what Theo Epstein and these guys, they're trying to solve what the problem is, why there's such a gap between pitching and hitting. Well, I think, I think the, the gap is the hitters have taken a different approach. And the pitchers are exploiting that. They're throwing the ball up in the zone, which we all know that's harder to hit. Um, and then the way the hitters are approaching that pitch, they're they're creating more strikeouts. They're creating less hits. So the batting averages are down and the game's not as interesting. 
Well, here's where the, the perfect follow-up is, because the initial response to that would be, well, Greg, how do you think you would do in today's day and age? But I, I want to relay a quick note I had with Dale Murphy on the podcast last week, and he said he doesn't think he'd hit well with all the velocity right now from pitchers. He said eventually I would adjust and make you know the proper changes. But we got into a discussion about maybe the counter to all these guys throwing 98 to 100, having guys like you who could throw 91 but locate and move. Maybe that is the elixir to some of this stuff for more teams to find pitchers who maybe don't you know, knock the top off with the velocity, but the movement gets hitters out. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's been for 100 years, location and movement. And I think Maddox is a perfect example because I've had discussions with people that have seriously asked me, um, people in the game of baseball that are very entrenched that could Maddox even pitch nowadays? And I'm thinking, are you smoking crack? I mean, I said, are you are you serious? Because um, to my knowledge, he would dominate even more nowadays. To think about it. So with the way the analytics work with the shifts and everything, Maddox could make sure that the ball was hit exactly where his defense is. And which you know we're seeing a lot of that nowadays. But because he had movement and he had sync and he had change of speeds, I think he would even exploit it even more. The same goes for Pedro Martinez because he had the high velocity, but he also had the movement and the location, the curse shillings. Um, I, I think they would have played right into this game, and probably there would be even a, a bigger disparity for them when they pitched that guys would have a really difficult time. Now, one thing is that we all would have had to adjust to is the strike zone. So now we have a vertical strike zone, Whereas is back when we played, there was more of a horizontal strike zone. So there was nothing given above the thigh. But you got either a few inches on the inside or a few inches on the outside, depending on the umpire. Well, now there's nothing off the plate. Everything is vertical. So you're, you're now forcing the pitchers to pitch up in the zone, which makes it harder for the hitters to hit. And, and then with the velocity and everything. So now you've created even more this whole kind of perfect cocktail of it being, you know, tough for the hitters to compete. Such a great time of year. You're getting out and about. You're enjoying the spring and the summer weather's coming. You also got baseball that you're watching. You've got uh, postseason basketball in the way. It's a perfect time to introduce you to our new friends in downtown Woodstock, the Daily Draft. I've been to the Daily Draft countless times. I love it. We've been there for all kinds of big events. It's the ultimate sports bar experience from their wall-to-wall flat screens, self-serve taps, which are really cool, craft beer, chef-inspired menu items, and I mean enough to fill the whole family or you and your buddies. Great choices, lots of options. Folks, I want you to enjoy catching the big plays during your lunch hour. With their wall-to-wall flat screens, you can indulge in their $11 lunch specials between 11.30 a.m. and 3 p.m. And if you're an MVP card holder, you'll receive an exclusive deal. For my listeners, mention Welcome to Atlanta. You'll receive a $5 credit towards your MVP card. The Daily Draft is not your father's sports bar. They have so many great opportunities for you, like on Monday. They offer you the Monday's burger and a brew deal. You can indulge in the feature burger of the day and a domestic beer for only 12 bucks all day long. It's the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. You'll love it from the moment you walk through the door. Go check them out today. Downtown Woodstock, the Daily Draft. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. 
You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com. Greg, I can't believe it's been 28 years since you made your debut with the Braves in the majors, but what I'm going to say is kind of jarring to our 25-year-old listener who knows the name Greg McMichael but didn't see you. When you took over the closer role, and you just heard Greg uh, Greg tell you he threw 91, maybe. I mean, it was – I mean, even then, like early 90s, right? We had – I'd grown up in the era of Lee Smith and Jeff Reardon, you know, and Todd Worrell. Then I'm watching Greg McMichael who's like – the ball's dancing and it's moving and guys are you had 40 saves in those two seasons when you took over the closer role like people would lose their mind seeing a closer today not look like Craig Kimbrell or not look like somebody throwing 97 or 98 is that something like you can ever reconcile that that you had that role which now nobody would understand well you know it was uh it was kind of interesting I don't know if you remember Doug Jones he oh, was yeah. a reliever for the Indians, Indians. He, yep. he became a friend of mine he was really the first guy that to dominate with a changeup. You know, there was Mario Soto who had a great changeup for the Reds back um, back in the seventies, but uh, but Doug was probably the first one to come on the scene and throw just absolute soft after soft after, and he would go soft, softer, and softest. And then his fastball, which was probably eighty-two, looked like it was about a hundred. <laughs> uh, I grew up kind of in my minor league days being drafted by the Indians. He was kind of the the perfect scenario for me to watch, even though I was more of a sinker slider guy. When I became, um, got to the big leagues, I got to the big leagues on my changeup and I kind of followed the same pattern. And, you know, it doesn't matter how you throw. If you're so unique that people aren't used to seeing these big league hitters, aren't used to seeing a guy like maybe a Brad Klontz or, um, you know, you think about guys that are just so different than everybody else. And, and you remember back in the 90s, there were a few knuckleballers still around. Sure. My rookie year was Charlie Huff. Yep. And, um, you know, and then there was Wakefield. And um, and then, uh, you know, we had R.A. afterward. R.A. was kind of the last guy that was throwing knuckleballs. But anytime you're different, you really throw the hitter off guard. And for me, being able to come in and pitch – you know, every game, but I would I wouldn't see the same hitters until maybe halfway through the season. So really, a hitter had very little time to adjust to the way I pitched until I was in the league five, six, seven years. Then they got a little bit more familiar with it, and that's where I had to make adjustments. So because I wasn't a starting pitcher, but I think anytime you're you're really unique, whether it's high velocity or sidearm or a lot of movement or changeups or sliders, you really uh, make it make it hard for the hitter to adjust because he just doesn't see you enough tell me a little about your story because you mentioned you came up through the indians organization drafted in the seventh round and after you know trying to make your way through that organization you get released in 91 and then the braves pick you up so were you one of these guys at that point that was questioning the future are you waiting for the phone to ring and you were going to keep playing no matter what well, thank God there wasn't COVID around or I never would have made it because, you know, these guys missed a whole year, which is, is kind of sad thinking about my story where 
I was a top prospect with the Indians, kind of worked my way pretty quickly to AAA after a year and a half, and then I got hurt. And I've had a history of knee problems. I was diagnosed with a um, disease called osteochondritis desiccans, which basically the articular cartilage in my knees died, and they had to start doing microfracture surgery. And the doctors basically said when I was 13 that I'd never play sports again. And so uh, just a, a long battle with, with, you know, psychologically getting over that hump as a young man and going out and just saying, you know, heck, I'm just going to, I'm going to play. I, all I can do is pitch because it's the least stress on my body. So I started pitching and I got a little stronger and I just, I learned to adjust to compensate for how I was, um, you know, my body. And I ended up developing a pretty good sinker at the University of Tennessee. Mark Connor, longtime pitching coach for the Yankees, came down and coached our team for a year and helped me kind of fine-tune that sinker. And I went all the way through the minor leagues with just a sinker and um, a pretty good one, a lot of ground balls. But then I got hurt again. The Indians ended up releasing me. I got a chance to start over with the Braves because longtime scout Roy Clark, who drafted me with the Indians, was now with the Braves. So he, he brought me on and, and put me back in A-ball after being in AAA with the Indians. And uh, going really struggling that year to try to come back from another knee surgery. I was, um, I was getting healthy. I'd lost my starting position. I was kind of walling around in A-ball. And, and there was a scout uh, in, the, in, in the, the stadium that watched me pitch when I was coming in relief, throwing my sinker and slider. And, and the um, – the scout told my teammate, hey, if, if McMichael had a changeup, he'd be in the big leagues. And here I was in high eight. And, um, and, I, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, they're always telling you something you don't have. And, and of course, you know, as a, as a minor league player, you're thinking about anything that's going to help you get to the big leagues. So the next day, what I do, I just start working on my changeup. And it's funny, the changeup I was taught in college, but here we were five years later, and it just never really happened. And so I told my throwing partner, we're in Winston-Salem, and I remember like it was yesterday. I said, hey, I'm going to throw some change-ups. And he goes, all right, you know, didn't think anything of it. And all of a sudden, it just started going, boom, just down to the right like a screwball. And then I would throw it and cut it and go to the left. And I don't know, it's just one of these weird things that, you know, timing, you know, God's plan for my life or whatever, it just, the touch on the ball, um, who knows. But I just all of a sudden started throwing this crazy pitch. And my, my buddy looked at me and goes, what in the world are you throwing? I said, I'm just throwing my changeup, and I'm trying to apply what I know about my sinker to my changeup and create a light touch. And so Javi, was, Javi Lopez was there with me in A-ball. I said, Javi, we're throwing a bullpen today. I said, but I am throwing nothing but changeups. And he looked at me like, okay, whatever. And so I started throwing them, and about three in, he goes, uh, what, what is that? And I said, I don't know, but we're going to keep throwing it. So I threw that bullpen, and then I ended up, Grady Little was my manager, and I said, hey, well, um, uh, my next start, which um, a couple guys, David Mead, and some of them got called up to double A, so he, you know, I was able to get my starting job back. And so I told Javi, I said, Javi, we're going to throw this thing until somebody gets it. So I literally for – this was like uh, beginning of August. So for four, four to five starts – I threw nothing but changeups, and I threw like 15, 16 in a row. I did not give up one run, and I struck out two an inning. And so I finished the year out, and, and Grady was like, hey, you know, way to work hard down the stretch. And I thought, okay, I had a terrible first half. I had a great second half. I'll probably get released by the Braves. 
Fortunately, Chuck Lamar took over as the Braves minor league director, didn't release anybody. I went to spring training, and um, and they knew I had a great change up, but they didn't say I threw hard enough because I, you know, I was coming back from knee surgery. And and uh, so Chuck ended up keeping me because I ended up picking up four miles an hour and was throwing about 89 in, in camp with my change up. I went to double A as a closer, dominated for the first month. They moved me to triple A. Uh, pitched well in AAA, went to Puerto Rico, led the league in strikeouts and wins. And next thing you know, I end up uh, in 93 in big league camp as an invitee. And, and the rest is by July, I was the closer. So that's you know, I mean, that that's an unbelievable journey. Well, <laughs> so anybody who gets called up at 20 or 21 or 22, you appreciate the moment, whether it's a call you get midseason or just, you know, as you said, the invite to camp and you make it. But at 26, when you popped, mm-hmm. like even it has to be more special and valuable to you to know that you got that chance so late. Well, I knew that, you know, you know about 26, 27 years old if you don't get it by then. And, of course, you know, it's a little different nowadays. I mean, guys are getting up so quickly, but they're also having find, finding it a hard time to stick. And that was the one thing back then is that you paid your dues in the minor leagues. I mean, you knew how to be successful. You knew what failure looked like. You knew what success looked like. You had pounded the pavement um, in the minor leagues. And so nobody had to teach me how to pitch when I got to the big leagues. There was not an adjustment. It was just a matter of whether or not I was ready for the big stage. But I didn't I didn't need any other help. I think a lot of these guys, and I think Snitz, Snitz talked about this a number of times, at least on my podcast, as well as, you know, just uh, hearing him doing interviews, is that they're having to teach guys how to pitch when they get to the big leagues. Because they only spend a year, year and a half in the minor leagues. And that was just something that didn't happen back then. Uh, so I, I definitely felt prepared. And then it was just a mental hurdle of getting over facing Wade Boggs and, and uh, Don Mattingly and guys like that. So you mentioned a couple of names there that you played with in the minors. And, Greg, that, that is like the sweet spot of Braves, you know, minor league mm-hmm. and development. And, and you mentioned playing with Javi. Give me some of the names from your journey and the time you catch on with the Braves in 91 before your call-up. Like, give me some names you played with in the minors. Well, I'll tell you something flat-out amazing. So if you go back to our 91 Durham Bulls team, we had 19 guys make it to the big leagues and about five or six were on the World Series team. I mean, that's unheard of. When you think about minor league teams, especially A-ball, so Tony Tarasco, Mike Kelly, Javi Lopez, Eddie Perez, myself, Pedro Bourbon. Um, I mean, we just had uh, uh, Brian Coetz, um we had guys at uh, Mike Mike Mordecai. So we, um, guys on Grady Little end up being a big league manager. So we had unbelievable players uh, in our system. I went up in Double A was Klesko, Chipper was there. Um, we had uh, gosh, trying to think of oh, I'd say Vinny Castillo was our third base in Triple A. Pete Smith was there pitching in in Triple A. So uh, just some unbelievable talent during those years that um, that the, the organization was stacked. You know, and you got to give credit. I mean, Bobby Cox drafted all those guys. Right. Think about Lemke and, and Ron Gant and Jeff Blauser and trading for Pete Smith, Marvin Freeman. Um, John Smoltz. And Glav. Steve Avery was number one in 88. So just an unbelievable uh, organization we've had over the years. And I got to be a part of that. In double-A, we set the record. For a double-A team, we won over 100 games in Greenville, South Carolina, which is just flat-out amazing when you think about um, 
you know, minor league baseball. Follow the Podcast Park on social media for live updates as new episodes hit and behind-the-scenes looks at all our shows. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Podcast Park. I want to talk about one of our great sponsors at The Rhodes Group. Yes, my buddy Clayton Rhodes and The Rhodes Group are a proud sponsor of us here at Welcome to Atlanta, and they're also my insurance company. Uh, It was about, I don't know, four or five months ago now that I finally realized why am I paying so much for my home and car insurance? I don't think we realize as the consumer we should be shopping or having somebody in a professional setting shop those rates for us. So I had the professionals at the Rhodes Group shop my rates and they ended up saving me a boatload of money. I'm talking about $2,000 for my home and car insurance. By now you guys know it's a great time to refinance your home. You see all those rates. Well, you might not know it's also a great time to shop your home insurance. Home insurance rates creep up every year, and the only way to get the best policy and the best rate is to work with an independent insurance agency like the Rhodes Group. Here's the deal. You can get up to 10 insurance quotes in 10 minutes from the Rhodes Group at no cost to you. You want to visit them online, i got a special landing page for you. You can go to roads-group.com slash churnoff. It's spelled R-H-O-A-D-S. roads-group.com slash churnoff. You can also see the link up at Real Matlana on Twitter. They're my insurance company. They're going to do this at no cost to you, and you're going to end up saving a boatload. The Rhodes Group is the answer to saving money and getting the best in insurance coverage. Again, the Rhodes Group is the place you want to go. Tell them Matt sent you. Go to roads-group.com slash churnoff. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com. So you said you took over the closer role in July of 93, which is in the heart of, as we look at it now, the last great pennant race baseball has seen before we realign divisions. So talk to me about the pressure or just the moment of realizing that was the time in the Braves, who, for those who don't remember, are 10 games back of a Giants team that was unbelievable. So what was <laughs> yeah. that like for you to walk into the middle of that? Well, I had two great mentors, uh, Steve Bedrosian, Cy Young Award winner, and Jay Howe, three-time All-Star, World Series champ with Oakland and, and, and Los Angeles. Those guys were with me in the bullpen that year. I couldn't have asked for two guys who had been there, done that. And I remember they told me after the fact that Bobby came to them and said, hey, McMichael's the closer, but don't tell him. Just let him go out there and keep pitching. And, and you know, and I sat I sat on the bench for the first month of the season watching Maddox and Glav and Smoltz and Avery every night just go six, seven, eight, nine innings. It was pretty amazing. I was the 11th pitcher on the team, and I slowly 
got some opportunities and just kept getting people out just like I did. That's why I made the team because I, I didn't give up a run until the last day in spring training. And uh, Bobby just kept throwing me out there, and I just kept throwing change-ups and, and uh, kept getting people out. So at that point in July, um, Mike Stanton had had, a, you know, he had, had 20, he had 28 saves, but they were tough saves. They were, you know, two guys on, ball hit to the wall. You know, we're scraping three-run lead. He gives up two runs. There were some tough, uh, tough saves. So I guess, I don't know, Bobby got tired of it or what, but, I mean, I was just pitching my butt off. And so they finally started um, putting me out there, and I went 15 straight saves. I don't even know if I gave up a run. 15 straight saves, and I think it probably wasn't until September that I gave up two. I had two blown saves. Um, and it just, you know, I don't know if there was pressure because I just, it was all just things were happening, and I just kind of took it at face value. I just knew that these were hitters. I had to go out there and pitch, and I was having a good time because nobody had seen my changeup before. And like I said, these guys saw me or didn't even see me early in the season because I wasn't even pitching in that role. So by the time they saw me late in the season, they were probably seeing me one time. I could throw them three different types of change-ups, get them out, and didn't have to worry about even thinking about whether they were looking for anything. Craig, I was looking at numbers, and I think these are worth bringing up to the listeners. So your season that you're talking about in 93, where you had the 19 saves, you pitched to a 206 ERA, 89 strikeouts, but you pitched 91 innings, which is just you know a, cl- a closer, even a middle reliever at these you know these points are you know, sixty innings and you know sixty two appearances or something like that. So, how was your arm and how was your shoulder? Again, you didn't throw ninety nine, but you're still throwing the ball a lot. How were you feeling at the end of that season? Yeah, I was probably just. Uh, I think I got a little tired towards the end because remember I went from the minor leagues to winter ball. So I pitched the full season in Puerto Rico, pitched in the playoffs in Puerto Rico, go to camp, pitch all of spring training made the team, and then I go into another full season. So it wasn't until I, probably a year and a half till I had a break. And, uh, and and you're right. People think, well, you're throwing change-ups. How hard can it be? I'm putting just as much effort into a change-up as I am a fastball because the arms go in the same speed because if it doesn't, then you don't have a very good change-up. So the hitter has to see a fastball coming, and you can't do that by lobbing it in there. It's just the way you hold it and manipulate the ball. It comes out slower. So I was putting the same effort into. I just rack it up that I was 26 years old, but I certainly felt it uh, going into that that off season. <laughs> well, you finished second in the rookie of the year vote to a guy named Mike Piazza, so that should again tell you the kind of year that you put together. Now you followed it up in the strike shortened season with 21 saves uh, and a 3.8 ERA. But I want to ask you about the the World Champion. Well, actually, before we talk about the championship team, how um, how did you take the news in August of '94 that? it's just going to be done or had you guys behind the scenes talked about this is, you know, the, the line in the sand or like, this is where it's going to end. What did you think was going to happen when play stopped in August of that season? Wow. I had no idea. Uh, you know, of course I, I hadn't been through any sort of um, labor, you know, work stoppage or wasn't involved a whole lot in the player association being a young player. You know, we just basically looked to Glab and, and some of the guys who were the leaders on the team. And, and, of course, they didn't know. They were, even though they were on the inside with all the talks, I thought for sure there's no way anybody's canceling the playoffs. There's no way we can cancel the World Series. Of course, you know, we wouldn't have been in it anyway. I mean, the Expos were kicking our butt, and we we had no um, 
we had no answer. I mean, we were probably eight or ten games back at that point. So we would have no 14-year run if it hadn't been for that. But that was kind of the only, um, I guess, kind of uh, saving grace out of all that. But but we we just did we couldn't imagine that. Of course, I didn't know. And and then once that was canceled, we were in for a long bout, and I think we all knew it at that point. So the off season and then the unknown about 1995. What was that experience like for you? I mean. You're not flush with cash at that point. Like, no. how are you handling the real life part of that? Yeah, and we weren't. You know, of course, at that time, everybody watched SportsCenter every night, right? There was no social media. It was just all like you were hanging on what 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 were the updates, and then we would have I don't know if they were weekly, maybe every couple of weeks, but we were having meetings as teams from the standpoint of player calls. So I I just think that uh, it was long. I started working. I was teaching lessons. Um, I was working out myself. Of course, there's a big question mark in your mind, but I just know I needed to go to work, so I started teaching and and trying to help out however I could. And but the further it went on, and it was uh, it was kind of tough. It was a mental battle to try to prepare for something. I'm just thankful that I was young and I, I wasn't an eight year veteran, nine or ten year veteran, because it could have meant that that was the end of my career but i was just starting it so i was just like you know i was a little naive which was probably good at that point right yeah so when you guys get back on the field in 1995 it turns out to be a what 142 game season you guys win 90 games looking at your year out of the pen mcmichael goes seven and two with a 270 ra 80 innings pitch 74 strikeouts two saves though so you're in a different role now it, remind me, is that Wollers taking over at the beginning of the year, or how did that play out where now you're still putting up numbers but in a different uh, role? Yeah, I think if you go back to 94, I struggled because I felt like I had to do more. You know, now I had a great year behind me, and I'm, I'm, I'm solidified as the Braves' closer. And as I go into 94, I had, you know, there's some tough breaks. People now have been seeing my change up, so now it was time for me to adjust. I think I didn't adjust so well, even though I pitched okay. It wasn't like outstanding like I was the year before. So that's where you have to make a transition from now. I've got to make adjustments to the hitters because they now have made adjustments to me. And so as that year went on, the team didn't do well. Um, I didn't pitch, you know, I, I didn't pitch terrible, but um, everybody didn't do as well, obviously, because we were eight games back of the Expos. I think Mark had now settled in as a big league player was coming up. They wanted to give him the role, and I can't say that he really took it over because the beginning of 95, Brad Klontz became the closer. He came up through the minor leagues and kind of followed my path of kind of dominating and then getting to the big leagues. So out of spring training, they gave Brad the closer role. I was settling into a setup guy role, and I did that all year, and I did that really, really well, The next, actually the next two years. So – Brad didn't do so well, and then that's where Mark took over after about a month. Uh, Rollers really kind of put things together and became the dominant pitcher that we saw in the World Series. Well, so for you, like you experienced 93, the pennant race, it didn't end the way you wanted to. For a lot of guys who had been there since 91, when you get to the postseason in 95, there's got to be a ton of pressure. The, the, you know, the team of the 90s, as it was deemed, was still waiting to win that championship and for those who don't remember so 95 because just typical baseball has dumb rules you guys have that record better than the colorado rockies but you have to start in colorado hmm. in the first ever 
division series, this huge crowd, a really good Rockies team. Um, like that was the first step into what had been, I'm sure, a nerve-wracking postseason run to try to win that championship. So what were you feeling heading into that October? I, th- I think we all were very concerned. We knew Colorado being the nightmare that it is for pitchers, our team was built on pitching and defense, and we had to face probably the best hitting team in baseball. And it was going to be a coin flip. And sure enough, I mean, we came out on top. Uh, the hitters really stood stood out and and played well. But, man, it, it could have gone either way. That series, especially in a, in a five-game series, that seven-game series is a little different. But when you, when you look at Colorado and haven't played them in a five-game, it could have been one of those 12 to 11, 15 to 14 games every night. And uh, it was tough. And, I mean, I was talking with Leo this weekend during Alumni Weekend, and he was like, yeah, we were all really concerned going into having to play. Here we are, it's such a great season, and we got to start off the first round. First time in history you've got a third round of playoffs, and we got to start out in Colorado. We were not excited about that at all. Well, you know, the first game is a one-run game where Chipper hits a couple of home runs. The third game is an extra inning win by – uh, the Rockies. I mean, it was a it was a closely contested series. And then mm-hmm. it seemed, though, Greg, and I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You're on that stage. Once you guys got through that series, at that point, boy, things started to roll. Cincinnati was next up, and and while there were some tough games in that series too, you guys really started to assert your dominance there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cincinnati was not the team. Of course, you know Colorado. They're they're as good as anybody in their own home ballpark, and they were good other places. But that's different. Walking into Coors Field. Um, as opposed to uh, Riverfront was two totally different feelings. They didn't even sell out uh, Cincinnati for the national championship. I think that really bothered the Reds, and we went after after feeling like we just we just uh, got past a huge obstacle in Colorado. We went into Colorado, went into Cincinnati just with a lot of a lot of confidence and ready to to roll. And we we played well against Cincinnati the whole year, and I think they never really bothered us much anyway and just had a lot of confidence against the Reds in general. So we went in there and we just swept it and, and uh, we were we were we had nothing but positive vibes going into the World Series. Of course I knew the history of the Braves. I'd watched them just like you in ninety one, ninety two being a minor league player. But I think going into the World Series this time, even though the the Indians were as every bit of good a hitting lineup as Colorado we just didn't know them well enough because there was no uh, interleague play at that time. So some of that is, you know, ignorance is bliss. But uh, I just thought we thought that our pitching staff can neutralize anybody. We, you know, the, the variable of Colorado is just an outlier. You don't have to worry about that. When you're going into Jacobs Field and um, the way we were feeling about ourselves, we weren't worried about the Indians at all. I mean, not that we didn't know they weren't a great team. We did, but we were so confident in ourselves and the way we were playing. Uh, we were we were as prepared as you could be. Follow the podcast Park on social media for live updates as new episodes hit and behind-the-scenes looks at all our shows. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the Podcast Park. I want to talk about one of our great sponsors at the Rhodes Group. Yes, my buddy Clayton Rhodes and the Rhodes Group are a proud sponsor of us here at Welcome to Atlanta, and they're also my insurance company. Uh, It was about, I don't know, four or five months ago now that I finally realized why am I paying so much for my home and car insurance? I don't think we realize as the consumer we should be shopping 
or having somebody in a professional setting shop those rates for us. So I had the professionals at the Rhodes Group shop my rates, and they ended up saving me a boatload of money. I'm talking about $2,000 for my home and car insurance. By now, you guys know it's a great time to refinance your home. You see all those rates. Well, you might not know it's also a great time to shop your home insurance. Home insurance rates creep up every year, and the only way to get the best policy and the best rate is to work with an independent insurance agency like the Rhodes Group. Here's the deal. You can get up to 10 insurance quotes in 10 minutes from the Rhodes Group at no cost to you. You want to visit them online. I got a special landing page for you. You can go to roads-group.com slash churnoff. It's spelled R-H-O-A-D-S. Roads-group.com slash churnoff. You can also see the link up at Real Matlana on Twitter. They're my insurance company. They're going to do this at no cost to you, and you're going to end up saving a boatload. The Rhodes Group is the answer to saving money and getting the best in insurance coverage. Again, the Rhodes Group is the place you want to go. Tell them Matt sent you. Go to roads-group.com slash churnoff. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com. You pitched well in the World Series that year, too. Three appearances, 270 RA. So take me back to that championship Saturday night when you guys are on the doorstep of winning a title. Glavin's going to go for you that night. The justice piece in the AJC comes out where he wants you know the fans to look like they did in the early 90s. Like, was it whirlwind, or did you feel like things were going sort of like you know as slow as you would want them in that important moment? Well, I, you know, I don't know. I just remember that when you get to that point in the season, everybody is just running off of adrenaline. There is no way, um, you know. Of course, you know the weather changes a little bit. You're you're pumped. You know you're one game away from winning it all. But yet, it's so stressful. Every pitch you're hanging on from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. There's no laughers at that point. Um, you know that you could be called into the game. It's Johnny Holstaff the whole time. So you might get up in the first, second, third. But yet, you knew you had the best pitching staff in, in baseball. You knew that they were all big game pitchers. Uh, you were hoping that um, it was going to be an eight to nothing game, but you did not expect that. And of course, you know it's one to nothing. We're all just biting our nails and hanging on the pitch. You're, you're, uh, you know, you're just as jacked up as the fans are, and that's really can be the problem. I mean, you really got to kind of slow your heart rate down and breathe, and 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 really try to keep yourself as level headed as possible. Because that's the pitcher's worst, you know, worst enemy is going out there and, and having too much adrenaline. Being a changeup pitcher, it just takes a little extra uh, tightness on the grip, and you're giving up home runs. 
so you really have to battle that and and try to relax and be be the person that you're thinking that okay i'm this is a spring training game or this is the middle of the week game in in the beginning of june i mean it's it's just you're doing anything to battle those those uh are not not nerves you're battling adrenaline really what you're doing so can you even this this far you know past you know, 25 26 years now can you put into words the emotions of watching the ball hit marquise grissom's glove and knowing you're now a champion <laughs> yeah i don't know it's you know bob warner and i were talking about that this weekend just that it seems so long ago that sometimes it seems like it didn't happen but then when i watch you know highlights or you know they were celebrating 150 years with baseball here with the braves and of course that's a big one we've only had three world series teams but um so they play that a lot and you see us jumping on the pile and i see the pictures and I can kind of tap into that a little bit, but um, a lot of it is just the exhaustion that happened afterwards. And, of course, it's fun celebrating with your friends and your family. And, and I remember, you know, lots of hugs going around. And, and, and so that, that, that feeling of teamwork, that feeling of accomplishment, that has never changed because I see those guys and it brings me right back to the camaraderie that we felt it comes back to the struggles that we went through it comes back to the success that we had and that that feeling never goes away but the the actual emotion that i felt on that night i don't you know it's sometimes that's hard to tap into but the sense of accomplishment that whenever i see those guys that's what i love what i do being being involved with the alumni bringing back these guys and and reliving some of that you really get that sense of that friendship and that accomplishment, that team teamwork that you had. That's what comes back, and you've got those really positive, you know, vibes from the guys when we see each other again. Such a great time of year. You're getting out and about. You're enjoying the spring and the summer weather's coming. You also got baseball that you're watching. You've got uh, postseason basketball in the way. It's a perfect time to introduce you to our new friends in downtown Woodstock, the Daily Draft. I've been to the Daily Draft countless times. I love it. We've been there for all kinds of big events. It's the ultimate sports bar experience from their wall-to-wall flat screens, self-serve taps, which are really cool, craft beer, chef-inspired menu items, and I mean enough to fill the whole family or you and your buddies. Great choices, lots of options. Folks, I want you to enjoy catching the big plays during your lunch hour. With their wall-to-wall flat screens, you can indulge in their $11 lunch specials between 11.30 a.m. and 3 p.m. And if you're an MVP cardholder, you'll receive an exclusive deal. For my listeners, mentioned Welcome to Atlanta, you'll receive a $5 credit towards your MVP card. The Daily Draft is not your father's sports bar. They have so many great opportunities for you, like on Monday. They offer you the Monday's burger and a brew deal. You can indulge in the featured burger of the day and a, a domestic beer for only 12 bucks all day long. It's the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. You'll love it from the moment you walk through the door. Go check them out today. Downtown Woodstock, the Daily Draft. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. 
There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing, or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands, an easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com. Greg, it's interesting. I've heard some players talk about the, the highs not being as enjoyable as the lows are painful. In other words, you know, you have that high of all highs in 95, and then in 96, the 2 nothing lead over the Yankees, and you mm-hmm. guys are in position to go back-to-back. Like, is that true? Do you feel like the pain of losing is, is greater than the joy of winning? I don't know. I think sometimes as ball players, uh, and we were, we're, we're in news cycles that are built on negativity, right? So, I mean, we would all admit that um, good news doesn't sell. I mean, everything you see each night on the news is about something bad that's happened. I think we've been groomed in a sport. If you're a hitter, I mean, it's based on failure. I mean, think about Hall of Famers. You know, they only they're about 300. I mean, that's that's failing a bunch. I mean, so I think sometimes it's easy to to look at uh, the negative side because it's so prevalent. on on your career on well i didn't i didn't have a one era or i didn't have a two or you know i only won one world series i didn't win four uh you know i didn't win a batting title i mean there's so with stats and with the way the game's played i mean heck brady brady probably is not satisfied with i mean what they got six super bowls uh, no, i think we're at seven um, now i think we i think we're yeah, at seven <laughs> yeah if you ask him, he'd probably say i want one more because the other seven weren't good enough i mean that it's just that's that's the society we live in, and and I know where it really hit me after we won the World Series in '95. One of the first, I, I must have been out at the supermarket maybe a week later, and and somebody came up to him, hey, good good job, congratulations, you're gonna you're gonna do it again, and I just thought, are you kidding me? And I not just enjoyed this one for a week, but you know what? That's that's where we live. So I can understand why somebody would say that, but I'm I'm a half I'm a half full guy. I'm not a half-empty guy, but I, w- I'm, I live around a bunch of people that are half-empty. So um, just in perspective, and, and that's in sports. I mean, there's always a new season. There's always a new player. There's always a new goal. So yeah, I can see why that is, but the more I'm removed from it, the more I'm so thankful. And I think back in general, I think back from a very positive uh, experience playing baseball and obviously being with the Braves organization. Well, let's finish up with the business side of these things that, I mean, you experienced that after you left Atlanta, you went to the Mets and you, you were you dealt a couple of times and went back to New York and then went to LA and eventually full circled back to Atlanta. So what is that lifestyle like the up and moving the unknown of where you're going to be next time around? How is that for the, you know, cause we watch the game, you know, in our TV for the three hours, we don't think about the real life part of it. How did that affect you? Yeah, really tough on the family. I, most of us have young kids at that point in our lives. It's tough being away from them. It's tough being an absentee dad, uh, absentee husband. Um, that's probably why the divorce rates through the roof for professional athletes and uh, that among other issues. And I'm, um, you know, those those are probably the toughest things about the job. And of course, you know, we we all know we get compensated plenty for the jobs that we do most people who are at the tops in their in their field they do and so uh there's no whining it's just the fact that the reality is that is the part that's the toughest about the job 
I don't care if you're eating at the, eating at Ruth's Chris every night and you're staying at the Four Seasons, it's still traveling. You know, it's still hotel. It's not your own bed. It's not your own food. So that is the challenging side of it. Uh, obviously, we all know the upside of it. But if you add on top of that, you're picking up and moving and trying to adjust to a new team. You're you're renting new houses. You're living in a different city. You, your body doesn't adjust from East Coast to West Coast. That That is really the challenging part of being an athlete because now you're asked to perform. You're still, still making the same amount of money. You're just switching um, jobs from one team to the next. The, the new people, they don't care about the travel. They just want you to start performing the way you did. That's why they traded for you. So uh, there's major adjustment there. It's really a psychological game. But then the physical part of it is obviously trying to adjust to new places to live and all that. So I, I went through that. Um, th- that is not the fun part, but uh, I did it. I, I still appreciate getting to know different places of the country. I loved living in New York. I didn't ever thought I would, but uh, I came to love uh, that area. And, um, and so that was pretty special that my wife and I both appreciated being up there for a few years, but then it was great great to come back. So at 33, were you ready to be done, or was the game telling you you were done? Well, I threw one pitch and totally ripped my rotator cuff in half. And so when Dr. Andrews put it back together, he said you got about a 10% chance of making it back. I wanted to play three more years, but I knew with my body I I was on borrowed time anyway. Uh, I mean, I compensated for my lower half. My whole career, I played, you know, three years of college. I played five years in the minor leagues, and I played eight years in the big leagues. So I knew that uh, my career was uh, was was blessed and, and charmed that I never was. You know, I think back about the doctor that told me I'd never play sports again at age 13. So I just looked at that as, man, what a blessing to be able to do what I got the chance to do. And um, so I tried to come back. I got back up off the mound in six or seven months. But when I tried to uh, tried to really crank it up and, and go against hitters, my arm didn't respond, and he wanted me to take eight months off. And I just said, you know what, I'm tired of rehab. I'm, I need to go uh, use my brain, do something different, uh, go try to be a dad again. And uh, so I hung it up, and and, uh, so I'm here with the Braves uh, 14 years later, or however long it's been, and just loving it. Yeah, and for the fans who don't know, that alumni weekend that you saw put together, Greg had a big hand in that, and that's a huge undertaking. Congrats to you because it comes off wonderfully. I know the fans love it. And it was so great to see the parade back this year and the interaction. It was was greatly missed. Uh, Greg, go ahead and uh, mention the podcast so people can hear that as well. So uh, every week, uh, it's called Behind the Braves. Uh, we're on Spotify, Apple Music. You can go to our website, braves.com. Ricky Mass, uh, who's in our digital media department, is my co-host. And we bring on current players, coaches, former players, front office staff. It's been uh, 88 episodes now over three seasons. Uh, really proud of uh, what we're doing and uh, get a chance of the, to talk with some of the great names and Baseball, we've had Hank Aaron on, Phil Necro, and then, you know, relievers uh, from the current team. We try to try to mix it up each month. We've had famous fans on, like Michael Kelly from House of Cards. And uh, it's, it's, just, uh, it's just fun. We're talking Braves baseball. We're not getting into solving world issues or <laughs> politics. But uh, 
we're talking about Braves baseball, which we all love, and and uh, just having a great time. Well, it's a great pleasure. Glad you're doing well. And again, huge tip of the cap because uh, that alumni weekend is just it's it's a great success, and I know everybody around here loves it. Greg, thank you for the time. All right, Matt. Thank you, buddy. Guys, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it very much. Thanks to Brian Murphy for producing the podcast, and thanks to you guys for making us your weekly destination. We'll talk to you next week on Welcome to Madland. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play, and we ride on them things like every day. Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming, and parties don't stop till 8 in the morning. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play, and we ride on them things like every day. Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming, uh-huh. and parties don't stop yeah. till The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at Camp Margaritaville Lanier Islands.com. When you buy a used car, don't be taken for a ride. Get Ford Blue Advantage certified at Wade Ford, Atlanta's headquarters for factory certified pre-owned vehicles. Go to WadeFord.com. There you'll find a great selection of Ford Blue Advantage certified used cars, trucks, and SUVs. With Blue certified, nearly all makes and all models are in stock now. You'll find something perfect for just about any budget. Buy with confidence at the Wade Ford factory certified used car outlet at WadeFord.com. Wade Ford, we are Atlanta's Ford dealer.